This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Well, hello there, it's Jeremy Myers, and thank you for joining me for another recording of the One Verse Podcast. In this podcast episode, we are going to discuss the word Hades, the Greek word Hades in the Bible, and whether or not it refers to hell, or at least hell as a place of unending, eternal torture and torment and suffering in flames of fire for the unbelieving dead. If you've been listening to the podcast up to this point, we have looked at the word Sheol, Gehenna, the outer darkness, the abyss. Tartarus, and we've seen that none of those words refer to hell or teach us about hell as a place where God sends unbelievers to suffer and burn for all eternity. What about the word Hades? That's the word we're going to look at today. We'll also be considering three texts from the Bible. This is the one verse podcast, after all, that use the word Hades to see what we can learn about Hades from those texts. By the way, I want you to know that this podcast is sponsored by me, (laughs) or or maybe I should say it's sponsored by you. Uh, I cannot produce this podcast without your help and support in a variety of ways. If you have not left a rating, a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast listener, that would be a great way to support this podcast. But even better than that, it would be great if you could financially support the podcast by... One of two ways, either buying some of my books. Uh, It is expensive to produce this podcast, and so if you could go to Amazon or Kobo, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, wherever books are sold, and buy a couple uh, copies of my books. I have about 10 or 12 books out already, so if you haven't read them all, you can get some of those. And if you have read them, thank you very much. Maybe buy a couple copies for your friends. All right, and that is one way you can support the show. The other way is to join my online discipleship group. You know, I have several courses available in the online group, and I put these courses out there because I teach things in the courses that I wish I had known 30 years ago when I first started teaching and writing about scripture and theology and studying it for myself. All right, if I had learned some of those things I teach in my courses three decades ago, I would be light years ahead of where I am even at today. So if you have questions about scripture and theology and sort of where to begin, how to understand what God is like, what is most important in the Christian life, does God really forgive you, what is the gospel, these sorts of questions, then the discipleship group is for you. And there's several courses on all of those. There will be a course on hell as well. If you have questions about hell, That will be available in June once the book comes out that goes along with it. So anyway, uh, yes, this podcast is brought to you by you, and you can support it in those variety of ways, buying a book or joining the online discipleship group. Either way, thank you so very much for whatever it is you're able to do. Now, with all of that in mind, let's get into our study of the word Hades in the Bible. So what is Hades in the Bible? Is it hell? And uh, it is true that some of your English translations will take the Greek word Hades and translate it as hell in the Bible. But when you go and look at the word Hades itself in 
literature outside of the Bible, you see that really it is probably equivalent to the Hebrew word sheol. In fact, if you go and look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is sometimes called the LXX or the Septuagint, LXX, of course, is Roman numerals for 70, then um, the word sheol, the Hebrew word sheol, is often translated as Hades in in this LXX, in the Septuagint. And uh, so that shows us that Hades is sort of the equivalent of Sheol. And what was Sheol? Again, if you remember the podcast study we did on the word Sheol, Sheol simply means grave. It's this uh, dusty, musty, uh, hole, dark, dank hole in the ground in which dead bodies are laid. And worm and rot sort of rule there, which of you know, that's normal. When you lay a body in the ground, it tends to rot and decay and get filled with worms. And so that's why that imagery goes along with the word Sheol. Okay, so initially, right from the very beginning, we can see that the word Hades is equivalent to Sheol. And Sheol didn't refer to a place of everlasting torture and burning and suffering for all the unredeemed dead in the future. It's just a hole in the ground, a grave where dead bodies are laid. Okay, but the thing is, is part of that is because Old Testament people, people who lived prior to Jesus Christ, didn't really have a well-developed concept of the afterlife, okay? And so some of those questions were first beginning to be asked and explored and studied in the couple centuries prior to Jesus Christ, And so by the time Jesus was born and John the Baptist came along, and then, of course, Jesus began his ministry and all of that, there were sort of two schools of thought that had developed among Jewish thinkers and writers and teachers about what happened to people after they died. Yeah, when people die, they are laid in a grave, in a tomb, in a ground. But what happens, you know, is there something that goes on? Is there something beyond just the physical body that is laid in the ground? And so there were two schools of thought. And uh, one of these schools of thought, usually headed up by the Sadducees, which uh, you read about in the New Testament, they believed that there was no future resurrection, okay? That after death, that was the end. People go to the grave and that's it. There's nothing else after that. And so that was sort of uh, one of the beliefs of the Sadducees. In fact, when I was in seminary and Bible college, they said one way to remember this is because they are sad, you see, (laughs) because there's no resurrection. So that's how you can make that connection there. Anyway, the other school of thought said, no, there's something eternal about us that goes on and exists and lives forever. And there will be a future resurrection when our bodies are restored, okay? And so uh, this school of thought was the Pharisees, the sort of theological opponents to the Sadducees in a variety of ways. Yeah, they had a lot of similarities, just like various Christian camps and denominations and uh, groups have a lot of similarities today, but also some differences. So one of the areas that the Sadducees and the Pharisees differed was in their belief about a future resurrection. Okay, so the Sadducees probably did believe that the spirits existed in some sort of state afterwards around the time of Jesus, but there wouldn't be a future physical resurrection. Okay, and so we see some of this development uh, in the New Testament. For example, the Apostle Peter quotes David out of Psalm 16, saying that God would not allow his body, that's the body of Jesus, 
he's, uh, that's what Peter's referring to, would not allow his body to see corruption in Hades, right? There's this concept of rotting in a grave, uh, but would raise him up. And this is Peter's talking about this in Acts 2, by the way, quoting Psalm 16. Okay, so Peter is using that text to defend the idea of the resurrection to explain why God raised Jesus from the dead. All right, so that's just we just sort of see where Peter falls on that. He did believe in a future resurrection. Of course, so did Jesus, and that is uh, what all the other New Testament authors believed in as well, which is why we believe in a resurrection. Okay, so the bottom line is though, those who believe in life after death also believed that people continued to exist. Okay, so there's this big question about, well, we die, but we're not immediately raised to new life. So what happens in between? What happens after we die, but before our bodies are raised, new, glorified, perfect, sinless bodies in the future? Okay, well, today we would say, well, they go to heaven or hell, and they wait in one of those places. At least this is what most people would say. They wait in one of those places in a spiritual form for the resurrection of their body. But in the days of Jesus and Peter and Paul and so on, they didn't quite have the same concept of heaven and hell the way many people think about it today. Okay? Instead, what many people believe, not all, but many people believed, is that all the dead went to the same place. It was called Abraham's bosom. And uh, this place had different compartments, one for the righteous and one for the wicked, but it was all basically the same area. And it is there that they awaited the resurrection. Now, you might already know that this concept is seen in Luke 16, where Jesus tells a story about the rich man and the Lazarus. And uh, by the way, we will be talking about that passage in great detail in a future podcast episode, so make sure you're still listening to this. We'll be talking about what it means and what Jesus is teaching there, uh, because it is probably the one story or one account, one text in all the Bible that seems to support this idea about unbelieving dead going to a place where they burn and suffer for all eternity, something like that. So we'll be talking about that. The thing is, though, is I believe, and just sort of a heads up, foretaste of where we're going, I believe that Jesus was using a common story of his day about what some people think might happen to the dead. And Jesus was using this as a way to illustrate a spiritual truth, which we'll be talking about uh, when we get to this, what, what truth he was illustrating there. But this doesn't mean that Jesus was endorsing or supporting the idea. Again, I've talked about this before, but it, it, the illustration is fine. I do not believe that when we die, we will meet Peter at the pearly gates in heaven. He's not going to be standing there, you know, with a big book behind a podium or something, looking at us with a stern face saying, why should I let you into the pearly gates? But some people believe that, don't they? It's sort of a way that people tell jokes or stories about heaven. I don't believe that's what's going to happen, and I think most thinking Christians don't think that either, uh, but some might. And, uh, but if I were to talk about that, oh, you know, I died or and went and went and stood before Peter at the pearly gates, you would understand that I'm telling a story about a common sort of misconception about heaven and what happens to people after they die. But I wouldn't necessarily be endorsing it or supporting it or saying, yeah, I believe that's what's going to happen. Okay. And I think that's what's going on with Jesus' description of Abraham's bosom in Hades 
in Luke 16, okay? Again, we'll be talking about that later. The thing is, is uh, those who believed that Hades was an actual realm of the dead, uh, where people consciously existed, they also believed that the dead would not exist there forever, okay? They believed that Hades, as this holding tank for the spirits of all the dead people, uh, would be emptied at some future point in the resurrection. Okay, so again, for people who believed in the resurrection, they believed that when spirit people died, their bodies went into the ground, into the grave, and their spirits went to Hades, where they awaited the resurrection. And at some point in the future, Hades would be emptied. The righteous and the wicked would all be raised again to new life. And uh, at that point, some would go away to everlasting life with God, and others would go away to everlasting death with Satan and the devil, okay? Uh, And that is talked about in Revelation 20, 13, and 14, which we will be looking at briefly today and then in more detail in a future podcast episode as well. So, um, look, this idea, though, doesn't match the modern concept of hell, does it? Most people, when they think about hell, they don't think of a place that everybody goes, They think of a place that just some people go. And then they don't think of it as a place where the people who go there will eventually be freed from. They think of it as a place when people go there, they're there forever, right? So that does not match up. The modern concept of Hades as hell does not match up with what most people would have thought about uh, as Hades in the days of Jesus and Paul and Peter. All right, so... What then is Hades? And what really did Jesus think about it? And Paul and Peter and the Apostle John, okay? Um, What did the New Testament authors and the early Christians think about Hades? Did they agree with what the modern average person in their day thought, or did they think of something else when they taught and thought about Hades? I think there's three biblical texts that give us the best idea to help us understand this. And uh, let's look at all three. Uh, The first one is Matthew 11.23. It's also in Luke 10.15, but we're going to use the Matthew 11.23 text uh, as our primary reference. And it says this. Jesus is talking about Capernaum uh, and and Chorazin and Bethsaida because Jesus did miracles in their midst and they did not believe. And so Jesus pronounces some woes upon those cities. And regarding Capernaum, he says, And you, Capernaum who are exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades. Some of your Bible translations might say hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and the day of judgment than for you. All right, so we see several things in this text. First of all, we see that uh, Hades is set in contrast to heaven. And we, we agree with that. We think that Hades or hell is the opposite of heaven. And uh, Jesus says, notice though that Jesus says in Matthew 23, that while Capernaum was exalted to heaven, it will be brought down to Hades. So if you think that Jesus is referring here to literal places in the afterlife, 
And you think that Hades is referring to this eternal place of suffering and torture and torment for the unbelieving dead after they die. All right. Well, then you also have to think that heaven is referring to the same thing, right? If they're in contrast here, and Hades is referring to an afterlife experience of some, then heaven also must be referring to the afterlife experience of some. But notice here in the verse, Capernaum was exalted to heaven and then is brought down to Hades. Now, wait a second. This doesn't match what most people think about Hades and hell, does it? Does this mean that someone could go to heaven and then be taken out of heaven and sent to hell? (laughs) I hope you don't think that. Once a person's in heaven, I don't know anybody who thinks, even people who think that you can lose your salvation, I don't believe that, but even among those who think you can lose your salvation, they don't think that once you're in heaven, you can lose it. (laughs) They think once you're in heaven, you're good. You're safe for eternity at that point. But if Matthew 11.23 is referring to place that unbelievers go, or some people go after they die, then Matthew 11.23 is saying that some people who go to heaven can eventually end up in hell. That doesn't seem right, (laughs) and nobody would agree with that. Therefore, it makes much more sense to recognize that Jesus is not talking about people's eternal destinies in this verse. All right? Uh, Jesus is speaking of both heaven and Hades in symbolic ways that represent experiences in this life, on this world, right here and now, during their time. And that makes a whole lot more sense. All right? And if that's the case, then Jesus is basically saying, look, Capernaum, you were exalted to the heavens. That means uh, you were given great fame, wealth, glory, honor, power, and respect in the minds of most people. All right? And that would be what heaven is referring to. And that makes sense because most people think then, as now, that those sorts of things, wealth and power and glory and honor and respect, that those sorts of things are the blessing of God, that they come to us from heaven. And that's what Jesus would be referring to here. Therefore, Hades would be the opposite. Hades then is not going to this burning place of eternal suffering after they die, but is instead the opposite of fame, honor, glory, wealth, power, and respect in this life. Like what? Well, it would be they would lose their power, their privilege, their position. They would become weak and poor and desolate. Much like, in the context, Tyre and Sidon, or Sodom and Gomorrah. They were destroyed. They were great, powerful, amazing cities, but because of their wickedness, the cities were destroyed. They lost all of their power and fame and glory and were basically just piles of rubble in the days of Jesus, all right? Or some not not even in existence, like Sodom and Gomorrah, completely wiped off the map, all right? So, and that would be how to understand the day of judgment as well that Jesus refers to there at the end of the text, all right? Um, It doesn't refer to this future judgment right, where where Jesus is going to send some people to eternal suffering. No, it's referring to a day of judgment upon the city itself. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon experienced a day of judgment when the cities were physically destroyed, wiped off the map from the face of the earth. And yes, people died, all right? Um, But it's referring to the historical event on this world, in this life, that caused the destruction of the cities. 
And then where the people went after that isn't even in view, okay? It's not even discussed. But the point is, here in this verse, in Matthew eleven twenty three, Jesus is teaching about Hades as the physical destruction of cities in history. He's not talking about the torment of human souls in fiery flames for all eternity, okay? It's what happens in history to these cities and how they will be destroyed. That's it, okay? Nothing else there about eternal suffering, nothing like that. All right, what about Matthew 16, 18 then? This is a famous passage for many people. This is where Peter makes this great confession about Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, Peter, you've spoken the truth, and upon this rock I will build my church. And of course, there's the whole debate on what that means. All right. But following this declaration that Jesus is the Christ in Matthew 16, 18, uh, Jesus says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And then notice this, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. All right. Against what? Against the church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. Now, I could go into all the historical background upon this there in the region of Caesarea Philippi. I have a picture of this here on the blog post that goes along with this podcast. And this was a place where there was this stream that emptied into this cave, and it was called the Gates of Hell. And there were parties that went along with this, all sorts of things. Uh, Ray Vanderland uh, teaches some of this in in his uh, video series, That the World May Know. I also talk about it a lot in my book, uh, uh, The Death and Resurrection of the Church, which you can uh, get on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Coba. There's one of the books you could buy, Death and Resurrection of the Church. And uh, I do talk about this concept in Matthew 16, 18, and uh, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, and so on. But uh, what what I talk about there in the book and what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 16, 18, is notice very carefully, lots of people when they read Matthew 16, 18, they think about this church behind these gleaming white, you know, marble walls, and we have the gates out there, and we imagine the hordes of hell, Satan and the demons and those sorts, you know, the, the people maybe even who are aligned with Satan. We imagine them attacking us, And Jesus is saying, and our gates are so strong, they will not stand, or they will stand against the attacking satanic evil forces, right? That's how most people imagine this verse. But notice it's exactly the opposite that Jesus is describing. Jesus is not describing the church behind the walls and the gate where we are protected with the hordes of hell attacking us. Instead, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail or will not stand against the church. In other words, it's not the gates of the church that are under attack. It's the gates of hell or Hades that are under attack by the church. We, the church, are the ones attacking the gates of hell. And they will fall to us. They will not stand. They will not prevail. The image is exactly the opposite of what most people imagine. I do talk about this, again, in the book, uh, The Death and Resurrection of the Church. Okay? Uh, And the point is this. Notice this. Since it is the church that Jesus has planted and founded, it is the church that is attacking the gates of hell. 
When does the church exist? Well, it exists now. Where is the church? It's on this earth, with us, among us. You and I are the church. The church is on this world, in history, here and now. And we are to be following Jesus in attacking the gates of hell. But if hell is just this afterlife experience for unbelievers, you know, well, then where are the gates of hell? I don't know. Well, then how can we attack them? We can't. Therefore, it makes much more sense to recognize, to realize, that just as the church is here and now, on this earth, in our lives, with you and me right now, and we are to be attacking the gates of hell, guess what? (laughs) That means the gates of hell and hell itself are also on this earth, in this life, all around us, here and now, right now. Okay? That's the only way that we can attack them. Hades is not a dwelling place for evil, unbelieving people in the afterlife. Hades is the experience of some people, maybe many people, in this life. I could say that Hades is the opposite of eternal life. Okay, And eternal life doesn't begin at some future point. Eternal life begins the moment we believe in Jesus for eternal life. And the second death, or Hades, the experience of hell, is the opposite of that. So everything good, fulfillment and satisfaction and uh, forgiveness and grace and mercy and and relationships the way God wanted them to be, Okay, all of those are characteristics of eternal life. The opposite, then, is hell or Hades. A life of emptiness and addiction and pain and anger and frustration. Lack of satisfaction, a sense that there's something always you're missing, okay? Uh, Suffering and, and sorrow, okay? All of those are the experiences of hell. And Jesus is saying, go and attack, batter down the gates of hell. Find the people who are in addiction and in bondage and blind to the truth and set them free, break their chains, release the captives. Jesus talks about all that in Luke chapter 4, right? This is how the church is to attack the gates of hell. And when we do that, following our captain Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. This is a battle taking place here and now on this earth in our lives right now. It's not some afterlife experience. So even here in Matthew 16, Jesus is not describing some afterlife experience for the unregenerate dead where they suffer and burn for all eternity. Instead, he's talking about the this life experience of many people who are suffering the bondage and addiction to hell now and how we are supposed to follow Jesus and break those chains and set people free. All right? And Jesus is leading us to do exactly that. All right, that's Matthew 16, 18. Let's move on to our final text. There's many we could look at. Uh, the final text is Revelation 20, 13, and 14. And uh, this is where Hades is emptied of its inhabitants and is cast into the lake of fire. Let me just read the verses for you. It says, uh, The sea gave up the dead who were in them, and uh, death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death. And anyone not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, I will be discussing this concept of the lake of fire next week in the podcast. So you make sure you don't miss it. I'm just not going to talk about it too much today. It requires a whole podcast episode of its own. But here at the end, near the end of the book of Revelation, we have this idea, this vision, this picture of Hades being cast into the lake of fire. Now, before we can understand what John is writing about here, what Jesus is revealing to John, uh, we need to see how Hades is talked about, mentioned elsewhere in the book of Revelation. And we see this by going back to two previous references of Hades in Revelation, Revelation 1.18 and 6.8. Revelation 1.18 and 6.8. In Revelation 1.18, we read that through his death and resurrection, Jesus gained the keys to death and Hades. Now, we may not recognize this, but people in John's day definitely would have, because Hades, you may not realize this, but Hades was a Greek god. And uh, he is depicted in Greek mythology as carrying a key to the gates of the underworld. All right? Uh, He kept the gates forever locked. Once you went through those gates, there was no coming back. And he had the gates and the key to the gates, which he never unlocked them. So those who were within could never escape. And so John comes along to the revelation of Jesus and says, guess who has the keys to hell, to Hades? It's not the Greek god Hades who keeps the doors locked forever and ever. No, it's Jesus. He now carries the keys to Hades. Revelation 1.18. And guess what? He plans to throw the gates to Hades wide open and set the captives free. All right? And that's some of what we just saw in Matthew 16.18. He's doing that through the church. Anyway, um, the, the, this is where the battle is being waged, at the gates of hell right now. All right? So, so Jesus, what he does is he walks up to the gates of hell that the Greek god Hades has kept locked and says, look, I got the keys now and I am going to unlock this door and call everyone who's within saying, come forth. Now remember, Hades isn't referring to an afterlife experience. This is a, a description of this life experience. So Jesus proclaims through the Bible, through the gospel, through the church, through you and I, to the people who are captive and addicted and enslaved to hell, to Hades, saying, you've been set free. You can live in freedom and grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. You don't have to be bondaged in bondage to fear and shame and guilt any longer. You've been set free. Come forth, just like Lazarus coming forth from the grave. Stand up, rise up, live, be healed, see. Okay, That is what Jesus is doing when he unlocks the gates of Hades. Now, we see this uh, further mentioned, or this idea further developed in uh, Revelation 6-8. There, John describes these horses, these four horsemen of the apocalypse you've probably heard about. And uh, death, remember in, in Revelation 20, death and Hades are paired together. Well, we see that first developed in Revelation 6-8, where death is depicted as riding a pale horse. The word pale there really should probably be uh, greenish-yellow, sort of the color of a corpse. It's probably a better translation of the Greek word there than pale. I don't know about you. When I think of pale, I sort of think of a, 
a whitish yellow, but it's probably more of a greenish yellow. Anyway, that's beside the point. The four horsemen in the apocalypse, you'll notice that um, all of the other three, they're riding a horse and they are carrying a tool or an instrument that allows them to carry out their destruction that they are causing. But death doesn't seem to have a tool. All right? Death instead has Hades. And most people think of Hades as a place for the afterlife, and so they don't see that Hades is a tool. But look, if the other three writers also have tools or instruments of destruction that they use to carry out their their war and famine and so on, okay, then that would indicate that death also has a tool and Hades is its tool, okay? And once we get that picture in mind, then we realize, once again, Hades is not a place that unbelievers go in the afterlife. It's not, that's not what the word Hades is describing. Hades is not a place that people go after they die. Instead, Hades is the tool or the instrument by which death, the pale, uh, uh, the rider on the pale horse, uh, brings its his destruction, brings death upon the world. Hades is the instrument or tool by which death is brought onto this world. It's not describing a place after this world, after people leave this world, okay? It's the instrument of death in this world. Okay, and that's just the parallelism there with the other three horsemen. All right, so again, this is showing Hades is not an afterlife experience in the future. It's a present experience for some people. All right, and this brings us then to Revelation 20, 13, and 14, where we read that death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. And again, just think about this. If Hades is a place, and if the lake of fire is a place— which, again, we'll see next week, it is, but you'll be surprised about where it is, uh, then how do you throw a place into another place? It doesn't even make sense, right? If I would say, you know, throw New York into San Francisco, you would say, what? How are you going to do that? You know, dig up New York and put it in a bunch of dump trucks, drive it across the country and dump it in San Francisco. It just doesn't even make sense throwing one place into another place. But when you realize what we just learned in Revelation 6, 8, that Hades is a tool, is an instrument, then it does make a whole lot more sense because you can throw an instrument or a tool into a place, into a lake. All right. And and we'll talk next week about this uh, significance of throwing Hades, the tool, and death, right, into uh, the lake of fire and what that means. It basically means that uh, he does away, God, Jesus does away with death and destruction. Because remember, Hades is the instrument of destruction that death uses. So Jesus throws his death and destruction into the lake of fire. And uh, again, we'll talk about what the lake of fire is next week. Okay, so what we're seeing from these three texts is that hell is not a good translation for the Greek word Hades, okay? Um, I mean, it would be fine if you could remember that hell is not an afterlife experience of the unbelieving dead, but is the experience of some people in this life. In that case, if you, if you realize that that is what hell is, fine, then you could translate Hades as hell. But most people don't think that. And so I would prefer to not translate Hades as hell and instead just leave it as Hades, the same way we might with Gehenna 
or Sheol or something like that. And then when people say, well, what is Hades? We can say, well, it's the experience of destruction and devastation of some people on this earth here and now. But Jesus has come and opened the doors of Hades so that those who are enslaved and captive behind its, its walls can be set free and come out into light and life and liberty and joy and peace. Uh, that, that Jesus has offered to them uh, as, as part of the family of God. Bottom line is, Hades is not a place of burning suffering for the unregenerate dead. It is instead a destructive presence or tool of death here on earth that ruins the good things that God wants for our lives. All right? What this means is that Everything that is arrayed against God in this life is part of Hades, all right? And in the end, as we just read in Revelation 20, all of it will be cast into the lake of fire. It itself will be destroyed. Death and destruction will be destroyed. And we'll talk about what that means more next week when we look at the lake of fire and uh, what it means. Uh, for death and Hades, death and destruction to be thrown there. So look, this brief study has basically shown the word Hades, it doesn't refer to hell. It's not teaching about hell as a place where the unregenerate, unbelieving dead go and they're burned and tormented and tortured and suffering forever for all eternity. All right. And we've seen the same thing so far about Sheol and Gehenna, the word abyss, Tartarus, outer darkness, (laughs) and now Hades. None of them teach that there is a place in the afterlife where unbelievers are going to scream and burn and suffer for all eternity. You might say, yeah, but Jeremy, the lake of fire sure teaches that. Ah, (laughs) well, that is what we will be studying next week. Trust me, you do not want to miss that podcast episode. But we've seen Hades today. I hope this is encouraging to you what we've learned about Hades today. Not just encouraging about what Hades isn't, but also an encouragement to get out there and follow Jesus so that you can help rescue people who are in hell, who are in Hades right now. Okay, it might be someone in your own home, your own household, a spouse or a child who is going through severe depression or difficulty or troubles and trials or addiction or problems in life. And Jesus is leading you to show them the freedom that he's offering them. It might be a neighbor or a co-worker, might be a group of people in your town, who knows. But many of them are living in hell, in Hades. They are suffering in addiction and bondage and enslavement. And Jesus wants to lead you to set them free. That's what is the encouraging thing about this teaching on hell. And I hope it inspires you to some sort of action in the future. I do have a book on this coming out. You can pre-order it. It's titled, What is Hell? It will be released last week of May, first week of June, somewhere in there. I'm really excited about it. It contains all of these teachings I'm providing in the podcast, plus a whole lot more that I will not be including. And uh, make sure you pre-order that. And when you do that, look, it's supporting this podcast. So thank you so very much for doing that, buying this book, buying some of the others that I made available. And if you really want to go all out and support this podcast and some of the other work I'm doing, please consider joining my online discipleship group. Just go to redeeminggod.com join. I have all these free courses you can take. You get free uh, ebook downloads. You get access to a private Facebook group. 
and a whole bunch of other things that are available to you there. It's also going to be encouraging to you because uh, the things I teach in that podcast episode or in the online uh, discipleship group are uh, some of the things I wish I had been taught 30 years ago when I first started studying, teaching, and writing about scripture and theology. So uh, join us there. And thank you so much for this uh, joining me for this podcast episode. We'll see you next week for the episode you do not want to miss on the Lake of Fire. All right, we'll see you then. Bye.